So the title of the message today is The Meditation of My Heart. And I do want to say if you have any trouble hearing, please make a comment. I'll keep my eye on the comments. Um, but hopefully the sound is good. Uh, we do have a new internet connection here and it's very fast. So everything has been working very well the last few Sundays. So the meditation of my heart, it's based on Psalm 1914. And as an introduction to this, I just want to bring to mind the obvious of what is going on. The world is absolutely in turmoil right now. Um, so many countries have been locked down for the last couple of months. Um, I know when this whole coronavirus thing started, I was in Kenya. Um, it was not easy to get back. And what's happening now is we're starting to see the ramifications of locking down societies all over the world. Um, they're speculating that or they're, they're anticipating that starvation uh, is going to be probably double this year what it was last year because so many people have simply been forced to be locked in their homes and in countries in third world countries um, that is affecting them in a very detrimental way so we need to pray for those in Kenya those in uh, Asia those in different parts of the world those in India uh, India I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in the next you know, a couple of years because of what the ramifications, the results will be of, of this lockdown. And I know in Kenya, I'm getting messages from people that are saying it's, it's, it's starting to get really bad there in certain areas of Kenya. So please keep them in prayer. Um, so the world is in turmoil. Uh, the United States, we are seeing uh, riots all over the place in cities all over America because of uh, the murder of, of this man, uh, by a police officer and the anger and the fear and the hatred uh, that is just coming to the surface because of this event. And what's really sad about it is all these people, it seems like most of these people that are rioting, they're really doing it just to riot. Um, they're destroying personal businesses in so many cities. Uh, they're burning down buildings that have nothing to do with, with what happened. We just see this vitriol and this hatred just springing forth. And it's so sad to see this happening and immorality. I mean, you can't turn on the TV anymore without there just being a flood of immorality and, 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 and blatant Satanism and efforts to combat God and to combat the gospel. So the world is definitely not in a good place. And really, you know, what it comes down to is Satan is the father of lies and the world serves Satan in his lives. And we see that happening so visibly now in so many different ways. So um, I'm starting off on a negative. I'm stating the obvious. None of us can argue the fact that, that, that the world and America is in a very bad place right now. Um, how do we rise above this? How do we as Christians keep a good attitude and not be drugged down by all the darkness and the hatred and the negativity that's taking place around us? How do we uh, stand in Christ, shine as we are to shine with Christ's love, continue to share the gospel and to bless people as much as we can and not be affected by all this darkness and chaos and negativity that's going around. And it's actually not that hard to do. Uh, if you look back through human history, times like this have always come up. 
we've always seen cycles of darkness and light, darkness and light. Uh, there's peaks and valleys all through human history, and we're going through a very confusing, dark time right now. But as Christians, we can persevere, we can move through this, and we can actually find great blessing in these times if we have the proper perspective and if our heads are in the right place. That's why this sermon today, I really was, was blessed. It's a sermon, actually, I preached a few years ago, and I rewrote it. I love Psalm 19. The meditation of my heart, Psalm 19, 4, says, Let the words of my mouth, here it is on the screen. Whoops. Sorry, guys. Here we go. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth, the things that I say and the meditation of my heart, the things that I think be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is written by King David, who wrote the, the majority of the Psalms. And this is what we're going to focus on today. But first, what I want to consider is the obvious importance of speaking in a way and meditating, of thinking in a way that's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Then we'll delve deeper into the other treasures that this portion of Scripture holds for us. So first of all, where it says, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. What does that mean? Obviously, if we are talking mindlessly, we're talking in a worldly way, we're talking in a way that's contrary to God, things are coming out of our mouth that are not pleasing to God, that don't edify others that are contrary to the gospel, those things are not going to be pleasing to God. Obviously, mindless talk and foul language are the first things that come to mind when we think of that. Ephesians 5.4 says, Paul writes, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. This is one of those verses that teaches us so much. If we're giving of thanks, if we have a sense of gratitude to God, because we truly understand the blessing that we have in being saved in Jesus Christ, and we live with a sense of gratitude to God, rarely are we going to be drawn into the sin of foul language and mindless chatter. We're going to say things that bless the Lord. We're going to try to say things that please the Lord. The things that we speak will be seasoned with salt and, and, and be a blessing to those who hear them and pleasing to the ear of the Lord. We're to tame the tongue, and we have to understand the destructive power of the tongue. It's one of the, the worst. If you look at all the human problems from history, so much, everything seems to start from things that are said, things that spew forth from the human mouth. So we need to tame the tongue and the destructive, understand the destructive power of the tongue and not take it lightly. It's a very powerful weapon and it can be used in a very good way, using it in the proclamation of the word of God. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So if, we, if we're speaking the word of God, we're speaking the most powerful thing we could speak. But again, if we're using it for foul language or using it for negativity, or we're using it to, to bring people down, it's going to be damaging and it's going to be dark and negative. So let's look at what we read in James about the taming of the tongue. 
So also, the, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come, for, come both blessing and cursing. My, brev, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What he's starting to get to is the fact that our mouth sends forth words that are born in our heart. The condition of our heart will be reflected in the words that we say, in the language that we use. You see? And it's really interesting to look back again at the times in which we're living. If, you look, if you've looked at any of these um, videos online of these riots that are happening all over the country right now, what's the, the one, one of the common denominators? Horrific language, anger, hatred. I mean, people are just consumed by hearts of darkness, really, is what we see reflected in this. It's, it, it's, it's just such a distressing and, and horrific thing to watch. When you watch these videos and think this is the condition that so much of this country has come to. You see, but we can combat that as Christians. And it's really fascinating because if you've been in ministry for any length of time, if you've been attacked by someone that doesn't agree with the gospel, that that hates the message that we bring, or you've had to confront a false teacher and they lash out at you and they start attacking you personally. What is the best way to combat that with love? with kind words. Not an easy thing to do. But if you do it, you will see incredible results. That's what Paul's getting to here. Out of the heart. So the words that we say, the things that come forth from our tongue, come from the heart. Matthew 15, 18 through 20 says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. So we're never going to control the tongue. We're never going to control the things we say if we don't control our heart, which controls the way we think, which controls the words that come out of our mouth. You see, we've got to have the heart in the right place. And that's what this message is about today. We need to speak in a way that is acceptable to the Lord. Let's look at Colossians 4, 6 and Titus 2, 7 and 8. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Titus 2, 7 and 8. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. The only way to do this is if you're in Christ. Our human nature will not react in the way that Paul lays out here in these letters of his 
through his teachings, if we are not in Christ, our human nature is too strong and will always lash out in a contrary way to the gospel of Jesus Christ, unless we are in Christ. Only in Christ can we do the things that we are commanded to do in scripture, and especially when it comes to taming the tongue. Why? A lot of it is pride. See, when somebody attacks us, we don't like something that's going on. It affects our pride. We want to lash out and protect our pride. Very difficult obstacle to overcome, but we can overcome it if we're in Christ. Because what? Our pride no longer rests in us. We boast in what? We boast in the Lord. And so his reputation is more important than our reputation. And we're concerned at how we reflect our standing in Christ rather than how we're defending our own honor. You see, we're starting to see the perspective that we're supposed to have here. Now, I really want to talk about social media. Um, Everybody's familiar with uh, Bill Murray. I don't know if I have his quote on here. No, Bill Murray, the comedian. Um, He's a very insightful guy, and he's one of these people that always conveys a very positive attitude everywhere he goes. People love him. But I love this quote that I had that I found of his regarding social media. He says, social media is training us to compare our lives instead of appreciating everything that we are. No wonder why everyone is always depressed. So when we start talking about taming the tongue, I'm I'm also talking about taming the tongue as it's expressed through the keyboard on your phone or your computer if you engage in social media because it's sh- it's been it, it's becoming obvious that social media is becoming one of the most toxic outlets of evil human nature that we've ever seen it amazes me what goes on with social media and really what i see so much and what i've stepped away from completely over the last couple of years is the area the error of social media debates in the name of christianity social media seems to often amplify human nature and we're seeing it like crazy right now with the crisis that we're going through there is so much bitterness and anger and this is probably tick off some of my friends in reformed social media circles you know up until a few months ago maybe six months, a year ago, I was following a lot of reformed groups and reformed pages on Facebook. And what I started realizing is I'm getting hardly any, if at all, any joy from this because it's just constant debate. And I'm reformed. I love the reformed tradition. I believe that the the sharpest edge, the, the sharpest, cleanest point of Christian doctrine is in Reformed theology. But what happens is you start taking that onto social media and you just, something happens and you enter this, this, this circus of just constant bickering and debate rather than edifying, sharing the gospel and glorifying the body of Christ. And it's really sad that that's happened. And I've found that I've just in stepping away from those things and getting away from that influence, it's helped me so much. And I've had so much more peace because of it. And I don't know what it is, but I know reformed, we tend to be, I guess you could say more intellectual. We study a lot. We believe very strongly in the authority and sufficiency of scripture as we should. But when it gets into the social media context, something happens and it often becomes very negative. So I think it's something we have to pay very close attention to if we're going to have joy in Christ, because we don't want our joy in Christ to be threatened 
and to be diminished because we're engaging constantly in debate. You see? Yeah, we're told to defend our faith, but not as a full-time job. We are to be concerned with having a healthy walk with Christ, striving to be conformed to his image, reading the Bible so that we know more and more of him. And if we have to defend the faith, we defend it, but we don't go looking for it like seems, seems to happen so much on social media. Hopefully that point is making sense. And if you have any questions about that or comments, you know, please comment and I'll look at it after the sermon today, or you can email me at, at uh, chat at the way r122.org. Second Timothy 2, 14 through 17 addresses this. Paul says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Sorry, I forgot to put it on the screen again. So Paul's telling us, again, use our words intelligently wisely in a spirit of love and the only way to do that is if the words that we're using are god's words it's the it's one of the reasons it's so important to study scripture you see do not wrangle about words and this is what's happening so much through social media it's leading to the ruin of the hearers because so many on social media now that may not be believers are looking for christian answers and all they're seeing is Christians bickering amongst themselves and and arguing back and forth about things. You see, we're not expressing the love of Christ that we should be expressing and shining out into the world. Another thing that happens when we get caught up in these worldly things like social media nowadays is that they become distractions. And instead of spending time in prayer, instead of spending time in the word and seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ and to know him more, we're drawn away into distraction. Kenneth Bailey, a writer, has a quote that I love. He says, to be distracted, one must be distracted from something by something. In order to be distracted, you have to be distracted from something by something. Do not let yourself be distracted from Christ. And it's very subtle because quite often we don't realize that we've been distracted from Christ and we think we're serving him when actually we're doing something contrary. We're doing something out of spite or to protect our pride rather than serving Christ and honoring him. And another thing that's happening because of uh, the world that we live in is it's becoming very clear that thinking and especially critical thinking, is quickly disappearing as more and more become obsessively addicted to the mindless false reality of mainstream narratives and social media. This is the reason these riots are good. It's one of the big reasons these riots are going on all over America right now, because people are absolutely controlled and manipulated by what they see on the news, and the news is driving these riots. If you go back over the last 20, 30, 40 years, you'll see this pattern where the government and the news in America, and many might not agree with me on this, is trying to create strife between, I guess you could say, the classes, and especially between races. You see? That's why this, 
this murder of this poor man who is a black man by a white police officer who, who put his knee on this guy's neck for, for eight minutes until he died. That's why they play that. And they want that out there because that increases the tension between the races. That tension doesn't have to be there. That tension can be gone away with. How? If we think as Christ thought. Don't be manipulated by what the news media is telling you. Think for yourself. Think critically. One thing good with the Internet is you can find truth if you search for it. You can figure out what's really going on. Question things. Because I'll tell you, folks, those that are burning down people's businesses, those that are rioting and shooting each other, they are not thinking. They are acting out in ignorance and they are controlled by the media. Do not be controlled by the media. You see? Now, I want you to think of this from a biblical perspective. Critical thinking is disappearing. Critical thinking affects the gospel. The Christian gospel, the Christian faith, the Christian walk is not for stupid, unthinking people. Christianity requires critical thinking. When we hear the gospel for the first time and we're convicted of our sin, we don't just mindlessly follow Christ. No, we look at it and go, wow. The Holy Spirit starts opening our minds and our hearts to the truth and we realize this makes sense. This is the answer to all I've been suffering from, to the reason that I'm dead in my sins and trespasses. This is the answer to all the things that the world is tearing itself apart over. And you start analyzing the Christian message and you realize this really is the only truth. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6, he is the only way, the only truth, and the, and the only life. Everything outside of him is just false to differing degrees. You see? So important to realize that thinking is part of Christianity. We read the Bible. We think about what we're reading. We wrestle with it. Sometimes you'll come across a portion of Scripture and you'll be like, what is God trying to show me through this? What is God trying to reveal to me through this? And we have to wrestle with that Scripture and go to other Scriptures to reference it and go, okay, now I see what he's teaching me. That's thinking. That's gaining true wisdom. Satan doesn't want people to think. Satan doesn't want critical thinking. Why? Because then he can lead people away into lies. Thinking protects you from lies if your thinking is grounded in the word of God. You see? So really the point I'm making is social media must be used wisely and moderately and completely subordinated to God's word, to prayer, and to meditation. See? Got to look at everything through the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. You know, anybody that follows me on Facebook knows that I post a lot of artwork. Why do I do that? Why do I post artwork? It's a simple reason. Because so much on there is just garbage and ugly and dark and negative. I've always had a passion for art. I love it. My, my computer that you're watching me on today is sitting on a a book of Rembrandt and a book of Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> I've got artwork everywhere. I love it. Why? Because it's beautiful. And especially in this time, in this age in which we live, when there's so much confusion and chaos and darkness and people are so uh, hate-filled, it's refreshing just, just sometimes to look at the things that people have created that are beautiful. And really, when you see true art, I feel that it expresses 
a divine yearning that the human soul has until we're in Christ. And art reflects that. That's why I put it on Facebook, because I want to I want to put something that's going to soothe people rather than incite them and put more hatred out there, which is so common on social media. Again, Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, there's also much more in this verse besides the obvious lessons that we've been talking about. So many of life's struggles, depressions, addictions, fears, and anxieties can be overcome when our words, born from the meditations and thoughts of a heart filled with and abiding in the love of Jesus Christ, are pleasing and acceptable to him. So I'm not saying that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart should be acceptable to God from a legalistic standpoint. According to his law, they should be. But what you'll find is when you start striving for that and this verse abides in you and you strive to live according to this verse and in a way that's pleasing to God, what happens? You start having your life is more joyful. You experience more joy, more happiness, more peace, more bliss. So there's great benefit for us in this. There's great blessing for us in this. And really for me, I've called this verse of scripture a silver bullet portion of scripture for me. There's certain scriptures that when um, I'm distressed or I'm depressed or I'm upset about something, I'm worried about something, and everyone is. There's no Christians that are perfect. You know, people think maybe pastors or, or Christian leaders, you know, we we just always sort of are abiding in Christ and we don't deal with those things. No, we deal with them maybe more than other people because of the pressures of what we do. But there are certain scriptures that when I meditate on those scriptures and I recite those scriptures, they're like a silver bullet that deflates that negativity that's attacking me, that I'm slipping into. I've shared with our congregation here before that uh, for many years I struggled with, with anxiety. I wake up at three or four in the morning just panicked about things, whether there was something to panic about or not, whether there was something to be anxious about or not. And I wrestled with that, and it would affect me so severely the following day. But what I started doing years ago was, medit- was, was reciting scripture. If I get those anxious feelings, I start reciting the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 19, Psalm 16, Philippians, certain portions of scripture that I just love. And what I found is they had such power that those, those depressions and those anxieties and those fears couldn't get a hold on me because God's word was protecting me from it. So there's blessing in, in all of scripture, but there's certain ones that have uh, like an extra power. And I call those my silver bullet portions of scripture. And that's what one of, that's what this scripture is. Psalm 1914. So if you're down, if you're frustrated, if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, if you're addicted, fearful, anxious, how can the meditation of your heart your thoughts, and the words that spring from them be in any way pleasing and acceptable to God. Think about that. See, Christ doesn't tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, try not to be anxious. No, he commands us. He says, do not be anxious. Because if we're anxious, we are not going to be thinking things and saying things that are pleasing to God. You see? If you're frustrated, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're addicted, you're fearful, 
you will not be saying things and doing things and thinking things, thoughts that are pleasing to God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now that ties in very well with Psalm 19:14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In order to do that, we have to take every thought captive. Every thought has to be captive to the will of God so that it's pleasing to Christ. We cannot let sinful thoughts, negative thoughts, contrary thoughts come in. We take those captive. We get rid of them. And we strive to replace them with things that glorify God and please him. Now, this is a hard thing to consider, taking every thought captive. And this is one thing I like to share about Christ, because we all know that Christ lived a sin, sinless life. But you have to realize that that sinlessness was even in his thoughts. Christ never even had a sinful thought, because even our thoughts count as sin. He says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed that lust, that sin. You see? So even the thought is sin. If you're angry at someone, you could be guilty of murder, the sin of murder. You see? So he took even those thoughts and completely was perfect. He was, he's, he, he never had a sinful thought. So we, are, we have to strive so that we can take every thought captive and be obedient to Christ. So what, what do we learn here? To take every thought captive is humanly impossible. It can't be done. Just like, again, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ teaches us all these things we should strive for. He commands us to live in this way that seems so far beyond our human capacity. But what does he say at the end of it? Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what you realize all through the Sermon on the Mount and what you realize through scriptures like this is that we are required to do what is humanly impossible to do based on human nature. But as we will see, we can do things far beyond what our nature is capable of doing. Now, I want to take a little side note here. I want you to think about the fact that our thoughts control what we do or what we don't do and whether we persevere or we give up. And the reason I said I want to take a little side tack here is because I'm speaking about how we live in a way that's pleasing to God, but controlling our thoughts affects our lives in every way. If you look at the things that people struggle with, depression, anxiety, fear, uh, people that strive to diet or to be healthy, it all comes down to the way we think. Our thoughts control everything. I was listening to an interview last week. Um, uh, it was a man, his name's Dorian Yates, and he used to be a, he was Mr. Olympia. He, he, he was a very famous bodybuilder back in the 80s and 90s, I believe it was. And I listened to an interview with him. 
and a couple other guys, uh, people that have won Ironman competitions, people have done, that, that have done amazing, um, had amazing accomplishments in very strenuous, tough endeavors. And what all these guys said is that it came down to mental discipline before physical discipline. Anything that we're going to succeed at, we're going to succeed at if we can control our thinking, if we can master our thinking, if we can suppress negativity and push beyond what our mind tells us we can do. So there's a there's a practical life application in this lesson today. And that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about here. And this guy, Dorian Yates, he was raised in a very poor part of England. He had no money, but he wanted to be Mr. Olympia. He wanted to be a professional bodybuilder. So he literally worked out by himself in his basement. And then he would go to these competitions and he would blow everybody away. And then he would disappear after the competition. Nobody would know where he'd go. He'd come back the next year and he'd win again. And what he said in this interview was he learned to completely control his thoughts when it came to bodybuilding to where he could push through pain beyond what his mind believed he could do. So he was able to motivate himself and push through levels of pain to become a champion at what he did, and he mastered his thinking. And that applies on so many levels. Mental discipline goes before physical discipline. You know, for years, I've loved to run. I love trail running and I love hiking. And one of my favorite things is to go out on a very hot day and run an extremely long way on a trail. I love taking myself to my limit and seeing how much farther I can push myself, go another mile. There's something so rewarding about doing that. It's painful while you're doing it, but when you do it, you have such a sense of peace and a sense of accomplishment. I have these quotes on the wall, on the wall in my office, and, and they say, attention and focus are the raw materials of human creativity and flourishing. If we're going to have attention and focus, what do we have to do? Control our thinking. Attention and focus are the raw materials of human creativity and flourishing. And another one says, success and happiness belong to people who can control their attention. Control your thoughts. And then it says, focus, pay attention, concentrate, be indistractable. And then I have a scripture that says, in every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Second Chronicles 31, 21. Total focus and commitment and control of your thinking. And the last verse that I have is whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9.10. These all have to do with mental fortitude. Not letting ourselves tell ourselves that we can't do something. We can't go any further. We can't persevere. And for Christians, this is like amplified. Because if a non-believer can do things, and we see it all the time in professional athletes, they accomplish amazing things because they learn to control their thinking. Think of what Christians can accomplish, both personally and for the cause of the gospel, because we have a supernatural ability to rise beyond our limitations because we are in Christ. You see where I'm going with this? And, And nowadays, this is so important because we are surrounded with every reason to give up. They're actually telling people, you know, stay in your house. And anybody that knows me probably knows what my thoughts are on this whole coronavirus thing. There's no way I can lock myself in my house. You see? 
And I don't think I'm endangering anybody by going out. I don't think anybody is. But it, but, but, but being told these things, having so many freedoms attacked, having every excuse to just sit on the couch, turn on the TV and say, well, I'm doing my duty. I'm just going to give up for a while. See, we can push back against that say, no, I'm going to persevere through this. I'm going to actually turn this into a success, a time of success and personal growth. That's the way we have to look at things. And like I said, for Christians, we've got such an edge because we're given a power that is beyond us. So Christ will take us to levels we never dreamed of if we just take every thought captive. We strive to speak things, meditate on things, and do things that are pleasing to him. See? And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, I'm looking at them. Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is after he'd had the, uh, the he'd met with the, the rich young ruler who could not come to Christ because he had possessions. And people started saying, well, how could anybody follow this man, believe these teachings, if you have to give up everything? They just, they realized it would be an impossibility. People will not give up the world to seek Christ. They want that worldly comfort. They want, they want what the world offers them, you see? But what you got to understand is the reason that people with worldly holdings, with the things the world has given them, forsake those things and come to Christ is not because of them. It's because Christ has given them the ability to do something far beyond their ability. That's what I'm talking about today. As a man thinks, cannot please God until God has changed the heart and its desires. Our thinking will not be pleasing to God until we are born again in Jesus Christ, until we are regenerated, made a new creation, and our human nature begins to be subjected by our spirit in Christ. You see? Then we'll see our thinking change. You know, myself, coming from my background with drug addiction, alcoholism, and violence, and all the horrific things that I was, I can't even imagine what it would be like if I just went back in time and had to get back into that head from 30 years ago. It, it would horrify me. Even when I think back of how I used to think, the negativity, the fear, the anxiety, I, I, I almost look at it like if, if you just flash me back to that time, it would just kill me because I couldn't deal with the difference between my head and my heart today and my head and my heart 30 years ago before the, the Lord totally transformed me. And I think any Christian will tell you that that's been walking with Christ for a while. Christians live in contradiction to human nature. Christians live in contradiction to human nature. See, human nature is going to always corrupt things. That's why our country is going through what it's going through right now. We're seeing human nature carried out. Christians are contrary to human nature. We live in Christ's nature, which is the opposite of human nature. So look at Psalm 19:14 again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. While this verse is a prayer for pure and proper words and thoughts and meditation before the Lord, there is also a powerful blessing within it that we must cling to. That's what I'm talking about. And let's look at Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart is life to the body. A tranquil heart is life 
to the body. What causes so much disease and suffering in this world? Stress, anxiety, fear, causes cancer, causes diabetes because people that are upset and depressed eat. They don't take care of themselves. They don't exercise. They don't eat right. So all the things we suffer from comes about through negative thinking, dark thinking, sinful thinking. It comes out through the body. A tranquil heart is life to the body, and you can only have a tranquil heart in Christ. If we're blessed to speak words that are pleasing to the Lord, pouring from a heart in love with the Lord that abides in him and in his word, we possess a victorious power beyond anything that we can conceive. Augustine said, it's a quote that you've probably heard before. It's, it's, it's one of the, the greatest quotes in Christian history. My soul is restless until it rests in thee. And Augustine spent years looking everywhere and trying everything he could to try to find peace and truth and happiness. His mom was a passionate Christian who loved the Lord. And she spent years praying that Augustine would come to the truth of Christ and become a Christian believer. And he ran from her. He literally abandoned her at the ship docks one day because he wanted to go somewhere and didn't want her to follow him. So he ditched his own mom to get away from her because he knew she was praying for him to come to Christ and he wanted nothing to do with the Christian message. But after getting involved in so many false teachings, he was a womanizer, a drunkard. He lived totally according to the ways of the world and almost destroyed him. And finally, the power of the gospel reached him. He came to believe and he was set free. And then he said, my soul is restless until it rests, rests in thee. Folks, every Christian can express that to you. I know what that means. I went through so many false teachings. I went in so many wrong directions trying to find rest for my soul. And I had no rest till I came to Christ. My soul is restless until it rests in Christ. The meditation of my heart. What does that mean? How do we have a meditation of our heart that's pleasing to the Lord? The meditation of our heart should be the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself constantly. Go through the points of the gospel, that we're dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from God, no way to atone for our sins. The death penalty that we have because of our sin hangs over us. We're in condemnation. But through Christ, we're set free. Think of the atoning sacrifice on the cross. Think of the time you spend in the tomb. Think of his resurrection. Meditate on the gospel. The words of my mouth, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to others. Share the gospel verbally every opportunity you get. Look to Christ. Always. It's so simple. Just consider him. It's one of the reasons I love running. I go out by myself and I get to meditate on the gospel. I get to think about Christ. I get to wrestle with things that I'm trying to figure out doctrinally. Take time alone like that to be with Christ. Consider the attributes of God, his mercy, his patience, his love, his grace. Meditate on the attributes of God. Meditate on the life of Christ. Look at, the, look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and strive to be conformed to them. 
read through his parables, meditate on his parables, and look at all the nuances and the teachings that are hidden, not hidden, they're revealed to us, but all the things that we may miss in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth reading. But when you really spend time going through the parables, more and more comes out. Meditate on that. Go through his word and look at his miracles in the New Testament and the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at all the miracles Christ performed and look at how they teach us the gospel. And again, consider his death and his resurrection. Study the mind of God. You know, when you look back at creation and you look at this world and you think of all that God has done to bring us to him, to save us, we start seeing the amazing beauty of the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, we can see things that unbelievers can't understand things that unbelievers can't because we have the mind of Christ and we're led and guided by the Holy Spirit. The preceding portions of Psalm 19, God's the preceding portions before the verse that we're talking about, verse 14, God in those verses, God's creation shines with the glory and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The expansiveness of the gospel is reflected in the expansiveness of creation of the heavens. God's glory in creation and God's glory in redemption. We see it all through his word, but we also see it all through the creation that he made in and through Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Are you guys starting to see how the negativity and the darkness and the chaos and the sinfulness and the lies of this world have, they bring nothing to the table. They have no contest against Christ. You start seeing that when you look at these portions of Scripture. So I want you to consider the gospel as we read through a portion, or as we read through Psalm 19. Actually, the, I was going to do a portion of it, but I'm doing uh, the entire psalm. Let's look at Psalm 19 in its entirety. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. He's showing we just see God in creation. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course, a symbol of Christ. It's rising as from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, in these verses, these following ones, I've underlined a few things. And I want you to think of this and compare it to the things that people try to use in the world to make themselves feel better, better, whether it's psychology, psychiatry, self-help programs, motivational speakers, um, 
recovery programs, whatever it is. Look at this, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. If your soul is restored and healthy, you're not going to be hopeless against anxiety and fear and worry anymore. You see, because your soul is strong in the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If we're wise, what can we do? Make good decisions. Think properly. Living a life of wisdom, we avoid so many of the pitfalls that the ignorant fall into. You see? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When you truly understand the glory of the precepts of God, your heart rejoices. You're not depressed. You're not anxious. You're not drugged down by the world. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You start seeing things in a context of the gospel through the eyes of Christ. Your eyes are enlightened. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. If we truly fear the Lord as we should, we're going to endure. We're going to persevere. We will not be drawn into sin. We'll stay on the narrow path. We will endure as we're commanded to. We'll persevere. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So we're not only blessed now, but we move forward to an eternal hope and glory with Christ, an eternal reward. That's what brings us, that's what helps us to persevere. You see? Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Folks, we sin in ways we're not even aware of. We should be praying that we're even that we can even stop sinning the sins that we're not even aware of. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What an awesome psalm this is. It's beautiful. So, folks, what it comes down to today is lift up your eyes. We are in a day and age. We are in a country that's falling apart. And we can speculate, are we in the end times? Are we close to Christ's return? We can go back and forth over that endlessly. It's been talked about since the beginning of the church. But the fact is, we are in a time of chaos. We're in a time of much darkness, but we don't have to be in the chaos. We don't have to be in the darkness. How do we do that? We lift up our eyes. See, the news, social media, everything in this world wants us down, our heads down, looking at the garbage and the mud and the filth that permeates this world. We rise above that. We lift up our eyes and we look to Christ. And I'll close with two verses that help make this point. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I use this verse all the time. It's one of my favorites. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be 
with you. That's how we go through this time. This is how we go through our lives as Christians, being in the world, but not of the world. Changing the world, but not being affected by it, you see, is by understanding his word in such a way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that pray that uh, this message has blessed those that have heard it and those that will hear it will be blessed by it. And Lord, I just pray that we would truly lift up our eyes, that we would live uh, on a higher plane and that we would walk with you in the midst of this insanity. And that through this, your light would shine more brightly and more of those that are stuck and suffering in the darkness would come to your light, the truth of the gospel, and come to know you. Lord, please purify your church. Help us to see the narrow path and to stay on it, to serve, honor, and glorify you. And let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, you guys. Lift up your eyes. Keep your eyes on Christ. Look at the cross. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about our ministry, you can go to our website at the way, the letter R. 122.org. Um, because of what's going on in the world, tithing is down, probably for us and everybody else, but we have a lot of work to do here in America. We have a lot of work that we're doing online, and we have a ton of work that we're trying to accomplish in uh, Kenya. Uh, our water projects, we've done two. We want to do so many more. And I still have faith that the Lord is going to get me back to Kenya in September. Please pray about that but we need a budget to do so. If you'd like to support the ministry, go to the way, the letter R, 122.org. Just go to the donate page. You can donate right online there. We need all the help we can get. And I thank all of you that join in every Sunday. It's an awesome blessing. I really enjoy this platform. Uh, and please email me. Let me know if you have any questions. Please tell your friends, share the episodes, um, the sermons. And let's reach more. Let's use this in a positive way and push back against the negativity of this world. God bless you guys, and I will see you next week.